was going to be a small meeting, wasn't it? And then <laughs> we all barreled in here. I'm Brent. I'm an addict. Hey, Brent. Alcoholic. Um, <clears throat> been sober since January 5th, 2011. So I have a little over seven years, which is a miracle for a junkie like me. Um, this house was influential in my sobriety. Uh, so I usually, you know, I don't really think about what I'm going to say, but I've spoke many times before in the past. Um, but I think, uh, I wanted to start with saying that this house holds a special place for me. I think, uh, I'm born and raised in Austin. Um, I had an opportunity to go to a treatment center uh, outside of this city, which was the best choice that I ever made, even though I didn't realize it was at, at that time. Um, I kind of, I made some ultimatums and, and uh, made a good choice to go to treatment. And when I did, I went to a place uh, in Centerpoint, if anybody knows where that is. All right, so I had been to that place before, but I didn't know that this time was different, okay? Um, I was 24 years old, I was living on my parents' couch, uh, which was normal for me. Um, I, I shot dope and did drugs for 10 years without a job. If anybody can understand that, then they know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, my mom came up to my mom, right? My mom came up to me and said, look, here, you got two choices. You can either go to jail or you can go to treatment. And I knew treatment didn't work because I'd fucking been before, right? But uh, it sounded a little better than jail. And <clears throat> treatment was always kind of a way to get away, kind of, you know, I'm an IV methamphetamine, cocaine, so I was skin and bones all the time. So when I got away, I could put a little weight on, you know, get back in the good graces of all of my family and everything was gonna be cool, right? And um, so I said, yeah, okay, give, I gave her some ultimatums, right? Give me some Xanax, give me some alcohol, give me some, my, I'm an alcoholic also, but I'm gonna talk a lot about probably, you know, and, and that's the good thing about this house is usually we can kind of get out of line a little bit. Um, so I made some ultimatums with her and it's funny, I did not realize that this time was gonna be different. Um, I was on my way to treatment and in my mind I was like, look, I've been here before, I've heard it before, it didn't work before, what's gonna be different? I don't really know, but let's just see what happens. Right, and it's funny. <clears throat> So on January 4, 2011, I went to treatment. Um, by the time I got to treatment, I blew a .37, right? And I had been, the last time I, I shot dope, methamphetamine was New Year's Eve. So I had been up all the way till I went to treatment, right? <laughs> Five days, which is normal. So I'm skin and bones. Uh, I, I guess I used to think I was a thug back then. So I, I would wear like my polos and like baggy pants. And I'm literally like, I'm skinny already, so I weighed probably a buck 25, a buck 30. Walking into this place, blowing a .37, but still walking and talking and remember everything, like that's normal for me. Um, and it's funny, I walked into this place that I'd been there before, and I stumbled in, I got checked in by the nurse, I got checked in by the doctor. Um, I, I walked down the hall that I've walked down before, and I sat in this meeting, um, which is the group room that everybody, if everybody, anybody's ever been to that treatment center knows what I'm talking about. Anybody ever been there before? I have. Cool. So <clears throat> I walk in the main room, right? And there's, you know, it's a huge treatment center, 60, 70 people, maybe a little bit less sitting in there. And there was three people in the front um, and they were bringing an outside meeting in. And I sat in the chair next to the door and what I heard the next hour changed my life dramatically like that. Um, even though I was wasted, 
it's funny, I don't exactly recall what they said, but I do recall thinking in my heart, Brent, if you want to change your life, you can. It was, it's, I, in a, it, look, I had just walked into treatment 10, 15 minutes, 20 minutes in, and I heard some people sharing in the front and my life dramatically fucking changed like that. Um, next morning, I woke up early. I went to every single meeting. I did every single thing that they told me, and they taught the same exact shit that they taught the time that I went before, but this time was different because I was ready. Um, all of those fucked up, I'm going to cuss a little bit. All of those fucked up experiences that I had around step one that I didn't realize were step one experiences came to a head. All of those times that I was sitting in the parking lot waiting for the dope man. And he was like, Oh, I'll be there in 10 minutes. And two hours later, I'm still in the fucking parking lot. Right. Where the hell are you at? I'm pissed. Where are you at? Oh, I'll be there in 10 minutes. Two hours later. It's been four hours. I've been sitting in this parking lot, but I'm not going anywhere because I can't get dope anywhere else. Right? Just, and if anybody, and everybody in this room understands that burning feeling inside that I need to put something inside of my body to feel okay. And I can't right now because it's not here. Right? The guy shows up and I share this in a meeting. I probably have like $22 anyways, you know, and I'm going to get a 20 sack and then be banging on his door trying to get fronted for the rest of the night when he shows up. Like that's a first step experience, right? Being up for 14 days at a time, waking up in the morning with a sack of meth on my counter, thinking to myself, I don't want to do this shit anymore and grabbing it and flushing it and then being so pissed off at myself for flushing my dope five minutes later. That's a first step experience. All of these things that I think I really could have, I went to treatment when I was 19 and then I went back when I was 24 and that's when I got sober. And I think if I would have gone a year or two before that, I would have got sober. Uh, I think I was shredded up and beat up enough by drugs and alcohol, which is what they talk about. I need to be to a point where I'm beaten into a state of reasonableness to get down with those steps. And that's where I was, right? Um, They brought the message to me in a way that it looked attractive, you know? Uh, and that's the beautiful thing about this is in it's, and that's the crazy thing is I've been to that treatment center before they taught the exact same thing that they taught when I was 19, that they taught when I was 24, but I was ready. Right. And that's the beautiful thing about recovery is I'm not here to tell you whether or not you're an addict or alcoholic or not, because even if I were to tell you, that's not going to make you do what it takes to get sober. Right? You got to come to grips with that shit yourself. And if you can get down with these first step experiences that I'm talking about, you have two options. Right? And that's how it was taught to me. Right? Either you can work the steps or you can keep running and gunning. You know? And I share this a lot. I'm good at running and gunning. I did it for a long time. Um, I could probably, I could leave this house right now and hit the ground running and not even miss a beat. You know, but recovery has given me something that I would never turn my back on compared to the life that I had before this. There's just nothing that it's, there are times that, you know, it it is funny, the longer that I stay sober, sometimes I forget how much of a miracle my life really is, you know? Uh, And it's easy to forget and it's easy to be cynical and it's easy to be like, okay, well, really, how did I get here? And it, the facts are the facts, right? Where was I before the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous? I was on my mom's couch, right? Where was I before I went to that treatment center? 
I mean, I, it's funny. I, I, I was 24 years old when I got sober, and I'd never even had a job to file taxes. All these people end up in, in <laughs> treatment or recovery with, like, IRS issues, and I didn't even have a fucking... I didn't, you know what I mean? Like, that was the type of addict alcoholic that I was. Um, so when somebody offered me a solution at that treatment center, everything changed. Um, and I usually start with that part of it because that's the part that uh, I'm most passionate about. Getting into the story aspect of it, <clears throat> born and raised in Austin. Um, I was actually born at Brackenridge. Um, let's see. Uh, mom, addict, alcoholic, dad, not, but they stayed together. Uh, my mom got arrested for cocaine distribution when I was young. She was in prison for a few years, kind of stuff like that. You know, got out. She did well when she got out. But that's, her behavior and the people she brought around and the friends that I hung out with because that's people, you know, she hung out with, that kind of stuff. I saw drugs and alcohol at a very young age. I mean, I'm talking six, seven years old acting like I'm smoking weed, but I mean, I'm, I'm around weed. I'm around, you know, hallucinogens. I'm around alcohol all the time. I'm around this stuff. And I remember thinking at a young age that it looked cool to get high, you know, and it's funny. There's laying aside the drink question is what it means to me is, it's like, okay, let's, let's, let's stop talking about the drugs and the alcohol and let's look at my behavior, right? What kind of, what kind of behavior did I display when I was young? And if I look back, I'm talking five, six years old, I was dishonest, I was manipulative, I was a thief. If I didn't get what I wanted, I got upset about it. And this is probably normal for some kids, but give that type of behavior to an addict alcoholic in the way that I find a way to escape the guilt and the shame of that is drugs and alcohol, right? I get a little bit older, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, and I start to dabble in drugs and alcohol, and all of that behavior that I've displayed for so long that I've felt bad about, I didn't even realize I felt bad about. The drugs and the alcohol took the pain away, right? And it worked. And it worked for a good amount of time. You know, 12, 13, 14, 15, 15, I'm introduced to Xanax. That's like the love of my life, right? Because I'm anxiety prone. Um, I've always kind of been an anxious person. And you give me, I, everyone talks about that sense of ease and comfort they get with their first drink. That was me with benzos. Give me a Xanax. If I had Xanax in my pocket, the world is okay. And if anybody that pops pills in here can understand that, right? You know, fast forward to 16, 17, you know, dabble in here, dabble in there. I'm, I played baseball, um, but got in trouble in high school, which is usually the case. Got, got caught smoking weed. Um, got left the school because I couldn't play baseball, bounced around, lied to a bunch of people. Uh, I, I got caught smoking weed at my high school, but I really didn't get caught. Somebody told on me, right? So <clears throat> the manipulator that I am, I'm 16, 17 years old, 16. I have my dad take me to a place and UA me and I cheat on the UA and I pass the UA and then we take the school board to freaking court basically. <laughs> and I've, I've smoked for sure, but I'm lying to their face. I mean, this huge elaborate like scheme, excuse me, you know, and 
lying to my dad. Oh, we have scientific proof that he didn't. You know what I mean? Like this, it's unbelievable. The, the links that I would go to to lie and manipulate. And, you know, and then in the meantime, I'm still getting high. Ended up going to another school, making the baseball team. And then I screwed that off. It was a lot of that stuff. You know, and then I played, I played select baseball through that whole time and ended up getting a, a full ride to a, to a college to play. Um, I don't know how. I don't even know how I passed high school, to be honest. So oh, I passed high school because my dad did a lot of my I, – I did a lot of my schoolwork for me. Uh, you know, and I ended up barely passing that summer before I went to college – I had to te- take the SAT. It's funny. I remember, I remember I was I had been up for a long for a few days, and I, I pull up to take this SAT at McNeil High School, and I don't have a calculator. I don't have anything. I just walk into this fucking thing and and start looking at these questions and hammering stuff out. And I look in front of me, and I can I've, I I can see the kid in front of me's answers. So I'm literally. I've every single one of his answers. I've changed a few here and there, and I made eleven forty on the SAT. Oh, <laughs> oh man! I, I, so, which is a really good score, especially the old for the old SAT. So I used that to get into college and play. Right? Yeah. Um, so it's funny. I actually I go. I went to UT when I got sober and I used that same SAT score. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Um, so I, I get to college and it's in, an, it's in a small town in Texas and um, I, I'm full speed ahead by this point, right? Benzos, cocaine, alcohol. I'm talking, I, I'm, I'm running and gunning so much faster than everybody else on the team. And it's evident, right? I, I like to come back to Austin on the weekends and then like barely make it back to class on Mondays. And that was my routine until it just became too much. I mean, uh, I'm starting center fielder, lead off, all of these things. My, my athleticism, I was always there, but I never worked at it. Uh, and then eventually it just got to the point where I just, my unmanageability was just too much for any of it, really. I call my dad, I'm too depressed because I've been on benzos for years. And if I don't have, it's just a mess. And it doesn't matter what my outside circumstances look like. There's nobody and nothing that can get me away from putting drugs and alcohol inside of my body. And that was the only thing that mattered, right? Um, So I call, and it's just such a, it's, my dad was so excited when I went to this college to play baseball. He set me up with everything. And I remember making the call, telling him I was leaving for no reason. I want to go back to Austin, which was really meant I wanted to come back here and just party all the time. Right. And that's where the real downward spiral started because you, they took, I took away sports from myself for the first time in my life. And when that happened, it was like, you know, 18, I was 18 and, uh, I'm doing an eight ball cocaine a day, all of this stuff, you know, how it goes. Um, and then 19 comes and, and I, I catch a few cases here and there. Um, I got caught with a benzo and then I got caught with an ambient, like one each. And it was just this, they put me on probation and I violated probation. I couldn't pass a UA. I'm smoking crack the second, I'm, you know, you know how we do it. I smoke six rock crack rocks 
And I'm telling myself, oh, he won't UA me today. He always UAs me every time I go in. <laughs> but he's not going to UA me this time. No. You know? And I stumble in there and he UAs me. I pop dirty for cocaine, which like gets out of your system in like two days. And uh, they send me to jail. And then I come up with this excuse, well, I'll go to treatment. You know? And it's funny. I, uh, at this point, my parents know about me. Okay? There's no more lying. They know, they still enable me a lot, but it's, it's the Brent steals everything to get high show, really. <clears throat> and, <clears throat> excuse me. So I, I'm supposed to end up in, at this treatment center at noon, okay, in this, in, at Starlight. And um, I, my, I had no money. My parents wouldn't give me any money. I was like, and I'm trying to, to get money from any way possible. Well, you need quarters for the, for, the, <laughs> you, for the laundry, so give me rolls of quarters. So she gave me like three rolls of quarters. And then what happened was is my, uh, uh, my family had given, my grandparents had given me like a bunch of gold from overseas. They're from Iran. And uh, I, it's so crazy. I took this 22 gram gold, 18 karat gold <clears throat> necklace and like this huge emblem. And so from where I was, which is like Lago Vista, that's where I, my parents live, you can go the back way towards Marble Falls. So my mom followed me halfway there. I drove myself, which is so stupid. She should have drove me. Um, so I drove myself and I get to that part she, she let me go once I hit Marble Falls. But if anybody knows anything about it, you can go the back way and just hit 71 and go straight to Austin. So that's what I did. I, I just went straight to Austin, went down to the pawn shop, pawned all that stuff, got a big old thing of cash, went and got a bunch of cocaine, and went and got a bunch of bars and did cocaine and, and pills for about 12 hours straight, 10 hours straight. And then... I made my way to treatment. I got there at maybe one in the morning or two in the morning <laughs> instead of noon. Right? I did my last line of coke, like right before you hit that road, before you turn in, you know? And uh, it's funny. This is the first experience I really had with what recovery looks like. Um, I pulled up to this place all sideways, right? And they, I'll never forget, these two, um, two people that worked there came out, right? And they were laughing and smiling and happy that I made it there safe, right? And I remember having this feeling like, wow, this is, I thought I was in a lot of trouble. You know what I mean? And this is what, they understand what I'm doing and what I'm about, and they've probably done the same fucking thing that I'm doing right now. You know, even though that experience didn't keep me sober, I remember taking good, I remember <clears throat> thinking in my head, I was never one of these people that said, oh no, maybe, ah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I can just drink wine. Maybe I can just smoke weed, right? I'm not one of those people that ever really, uh, I know the facts. The facts are, I don't really just wanna drink wine. I don't really just wanna smoke weed. I wanna shoot dope 100 miles an hour all the time. And that's, that's the truth, you know? So, but I wasn't ready, like I said in the past. Um, so I, I had, if anybody's been to treatment before, and ever, which I'm sure there's a lot of people in here that have, ever not worked a program while you're in treatment and felt the pain of not having your drugs and alcohol and then you don't have recovery either. 
Has anybody ever felt that? That sense of, well, I can't put drugs and alcohol in my body and I don't have another solution. I think it was like day 14, I was so miserable and burning inside for something to, to put something inside of my body that I was calling everyone that I knew to bring me drugs and alcohol to that treatment center because that was the only solution that I fucking knew, right? This other 12-step solution they were talking about, I was acting like I was doing it, but I wasn't doing anything, right? It's funny, I thought, it, I thought going to treatment didn't work, but the truth was is I didn't work anything, right? Because what I came to find out is it's an action-based program that makes the, the uh, dramatic change. Nothing else. Um, so the day that, it's funny, I, the day I get out of treatment, um, I guess I knew I wasn't gonna stay sober. And, and my drive home, my mom calls me and says, hey, you think you can pick up my prescription from Walgreens? <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, 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 that sounds great. <clears throat> and I pick it up and it's Soma's. And I pop two and it's done, you know? And it's, I, I really don't remember too much uh, the, the following few years, but I do, it, that five-year gap of drinking and drugging and, and burning every bridge in my life, and, and heli I'm talking uh, helicopter rides, ambulance rides. It's funny, I printed out my credit report when I got sober, and I've said this, I think, in here before, is... I have like forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars in hospital bills, right? Twenty thousand dollar helicopter ride, ambulance ride, ambulance <clears throat> ride, ambulance ride, treatment center, ambulance ride, just times that I've overdosed, right, and woke up in the hospital, ripped all the, the cords out of me and ran out, right? Um, and that was kind of a normal thing. And I've it, it's uh um it never, it's funny, I take a meeting to a treatment center and I always ask, who are the people in here that the doctors are saying, if you keep drinking, you're gonna die, right? And a lot of people raise their hand, you know? And that's probably the most blunt way to see the insanity around drinking and drugging, right? I remember I, uh, fast forward a couple years, uh, probably 22, 23 years old, and <clears throat> I, uh, I'd been up for about six or seven days, maybe longer. I never, I'm, I wasn't really good at eating or drinking on it, which is just pretty normal. And I'm at my parents' house and I'm going into kind of convulsions. My body's breaking down and I, uh, I, can't, I can't walk, I can't talk. Um, and my house is like an hour, 45 minutes, or 45 minutes away from the hospital. So there's no way I'm gonna make it. I mean, I'm on the verge of dying probably. Excuse me. So I had, this is all happening in front of my parents and in front of my little sister and in front of the neighbors, you know. And um, <clears throat> so we had to call the ambulance and they sent a helicopter to my house. And, and if anybody knows anything about like a helicopter landing in like a residence, it's a huge event. Like <laughs> I'm talking, it landed in the cul-de-sac and just the leaves and everything went everywhere. Um, and I just remember these people coming and tackling me and put me on a gurney and put me in this, you know, and, and I just remember just seeing trees and all of a sudden waking up multiple times in absolute, uh, just, I'm 
seeing things, I'm hallucinating, I'm, I'm having huge hallucinations about my friends and my family are all visiting me and everybody's there and I'm talking with everybody, but then I'll wake up and rip all the tubes out of me and try to run out of the hospital and they tackle me and put me back in over and over and over and over again. And um, finally, I guess they let me out and I'm talk my dad picks me up and I'm like, yeah, everyone's visiting. He's like, nobody visited you. Nobody even came to see, I didn't come to see you. None of your friends came to see you. All of that was just made up, right? And it's funny, we talked about it. We have a great relationship now, by the way. Um, we talked about, uh, he, he told me, Brent, do you remember what you said to me when I picked you up uh, from the hospital? And one time I said, no. he said, you sat up in your chair and you asked me if we could stop by the store and get some alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> Like, it sounded like a good fucking idea to just keep on drinking and drugging, right? So that was a, that, that's, that's what first step looks like for us, you know? And, and because the truth is, is the solution to the way that I felt was the drugs and the alcohol, right? Uh, if I, and the question is, and this is the question that we bring up in 12 steps is, why do I feel this way in the first place? Right? And it talks about it on page 62 is selfishness, self-centeredness that we think is the root of our troubles, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking. Right? Um, and, and like I said in the beginning, that happens in normal people, but they don't drink or drug over it. I do. And that's my solution to, the, to making myself feel better. Right? Um, so it... Fast forward and, and uh, like I said, all of those, those first step experiences kind of came to a head and I made the best decision I ever made in my entire life, even though I didn't realize it was the best decision I ever made. And that's why I always say, if you can go to treatment, go to treatment because you never know what's gonna happen no matter how many times you've been. I'm talking magical things can happen, right? Does that mean you have to go to treatment to get sober? No, but does that mean that it helps? Sure. Um, so like I said, I was on my way to treatment and, um, not really thinking anything of it, stumbled in there, heard the solution, the way that it's supposed to be taught and everything changed. Um, so what did, what did treatment look like for me? Because I think this is, a, especially for people that are trying to get sober right now. Uh, and there's a lot of, of bullshit taught sometimes and, and I'm, I hope I don't step on anybody's toes, but this is how it was taught to me. Um, by the time I, I was 15 days into treatment, I was already through step seven, okay? I'm not the type of person, and I think we forget that recovery and 12 steps were taught in the beginning to get through fast. Um, I don't have enough time to sit around and act like I'm gonna work a step a month and get sober. <clears throat> the solution doesn't fucking work like that for me. I need to work step after step, first of all, we have to get away from this idea that we're stuck on step one because there's no such thing as being stuck on the first three steps because we can literally work the first three steps right now in five seconds, okay? The only step that you might get snagged on is step four, okay? That doesn't mean that you don't break down the first three steps and learn them more thoroughly, but um, if you can get down with what I've been talking about in step one with step one stuff, uh, with not being able to put it down even though you want to, with uh, having to flush your dope or getting caught with your dope and then somebody else flushes your dope and then you're pissed about it and then you go get more dope, with making every promise that you've ever made 
right? Waking up in the morning with this firm resolution never to do it again, and then doing it five minutes later. That's what step one looks like, right? That's it. We're done with it, right? And then came to believe that a power greater than themselves could restore me to sanity. If I need to be restored to sanity, I found out that I was crazy in step one, right? And what are we talking about? Because I think this is what kind of gets taught a little bit wrong is if I need to be uh, restored to sanity um, and, and, and I'm powerless, I'm not, what we're talking about in recovery is that I'm powerless over drugs and alcohol and that's it, right? We, we hear a lot of like, oh, I'm powerless over this and I'm powerless over that and I'm powerless over this. But the truth is, is we're talking about being powerless over drinking and drugging because that's the problem. Right, uh, and I need a solution to, to help me um, have power so that I can say no to drinking and drugging, right? And then step three, basically what step three is, was I'm willing to go through the rest of the work, okay? And it's basically that, that simple. And then you get to step four, right? So about five, six days in, I was on step four. I wrote about, it took two or three hours, pretty quick. 70 resentments, knocked them out. Uh, they had some kid do a fist step with me a few days later, and there's a church on that property out there, and I, I sat down across from this kid that was like five years younger than me, but already had like a few years of sobriety, and I read this, this inventory to him, and it wasn't written perfectly. It wasn't written the way that I write it today, but it was written in a way that he could, he could take it and put it into what a fist step looks like today, right? It was bare. It had honesty in it. First time in my fucking life, I was honest with myself and with somebody else. It's the, it was literally the first time I've ever been honest. And that honesty was what, what, what dramatically changed me. I remember, what, well, first off, he asked me if there was anything that I left off, and there was one thing that I left off of there that I was never gonna tell anybody, but I told him. And I think when I told him, I knew that I was really ready. You know, that one thing that I wasn't willing to tell anybody, uh, it, it, I mean, I walked out of that chapel and it was just, everything changed. Um, but I, th- I was kind of progressing to that spot. So anyways, um, I remember I walked in to my counselor's office and I, I said like 15, 16 days in and I told her that I wanted to go to a sober house and she was just ecstatic about it, right? And then I've shared this before, Alexis has probably heard it. I walked out of her office, like two steps and fucking said, fuck, I can't believe I just told her I wanted to go to a sober house, oh my God. You know, but I got it, cause I got in the habit of doing things that I didn't wanna do, and as a result of that, my life changed. Because I was always in the business of doing what Brent wanted to do, and my life was a mess, right? It was always, I, want, I don't wanna go to treatment, I don't wanna go to a sober house, I don't wanna work the steps, I don't wanna, I don't wanna, I don't wanna, well yeah, then keep getting high, right? And then I got to that point where it was like, you tell me what to do, and, and even though sometimes my disease would kinda of pull back on it, what I would do is talk about it, tell people about it. If I knew that this is the right thing to do, I need to talk about it, you know? So I ended up going to a sober house in Kerrville, which was the best choice that I ever made. Um, I'm from Austin. I shot dope in every freaking uh, gas station bathroom in this town, you know. <clears throat> and it was uh, it was the best choice I ever made. I got out. Uh, I hit the ground running. I know this isn't everybody's experience when it comes to recovery. For some reason, it just took maybe because I had nothing before I got sober. 
but it took to me in a way that uh, it inspired me. It, it, I mean, that moment that I had where it said, Brent, you can change your life if you want to, something happened. Um, and I was excited for life for the first time in a long time, you know, and I wanted to share that with people because we, we come in so hopeless. Those last few years of using by myself, I mean, there was, there was, I grew up on the lakes, you know, and, and um, I remember one fourth of July, I think it was 2009, I woke up in my bed, I had been up for about seven or eight days, and it was fourth of July, and it was like five o'clock in the afternoon, and I had missed the whole fucking day, right? My family, all of my friends are down at the lake party, and people are texting me, calling me, and I look so terrible and skinny that I will not even show my face down there, right? That moment sitting in my bed thinking, I just need to get some dope. And I remember I had like 60 bucks on me and I drove down to the lake and I wouldn't roll down my windows or anything. And the dope man was at the lake and all of my friends were around partying and he jumped in the car, I bought a sack from him and drove off and didn't even say hi to anybody. Went back to my house and shot the dope and, and, and kept going. You know, talk about fucking loneliness. You know what I mean? And <clears throat> come in here and you're taught from people that know what they're talking about and that can dramatically change somebody. You know? <clears throat> what are we looking at? 15 so anyways, I went to Kerrville, best choice that I ever made. Um, stayed for about 14, 15 months and then moved back to Austin, which was a good, you know, uh, I wanted to come back many times before that, but I, I took that I need to do what I don't want to do to heart. Uh, I had friends that came back and got high at six, seven months sober, right? So I stayed 14, 15 months, moved back, um, started going to ACC, got good grades. Uh, the kid that, I mean, back when I was getting high, I would go to class and like, if there was a test in class, I would just leave and not even take the test. <laughs> oh no, that's scary. And I would never go back. I would never go back again. Like there was one time this girl was like, yeah, there's a test today. And I, I left and there wasn't even a test. <laughs> I just left the class, <laughs> you know? And um, so I went to ACC, made straight A's and applied to the University of Texas and got in, which is a trip, right? Um, so I, uh, something happened. My dad started a, a business and um, asked me if I wanted to, to run it and operate it. And uh, I was about 85, 90 credits in at UT and I started to do that and I could only go part-time. So UT kind of took a back seat and now I run a business and um, I'm trusted with company credit cards and, and bank accounts with with money in it. And, uh, I've, and that's the beautiful thing. It's like, I stole so much money from my dad and my family. And I'm talking thousand. I'm, I'm cash. I have the same name. Don't ever name your kid the same as you. Uh, I, I have the same name as my dad, so I would go in his bank and just write checks. And like, they, they knew me by name. I would walk in a bank that he didn't know, and they'd be like, oh, hey, yeah, you need to get some money out. Great. And I'd just take thousands of dollars out all the time, which is how I used for 10 years without a job. Um, you know, which is, uh, you know, fast forward to recovery, and that's just not my experience today. Um, I have a beautiful wife and we, we met in recovery. 
and she has a good amount of time also. And it's, I mean, the best relationship and the best thing that ever happened to me. And we have a, a year and a half year old son that will never see me stick a needle in my arm, which is beautiful, right? But the facts are the facts. Um, if I don't do this shit, I'm the type, I have friends that can get away with a little more in recovery than I can. And maybe they can, maybe they can, at least it looks like they can. I'm not one of those people. Um, I still have a ton of sponsees. I still take me a meeting every other week to a treatment center and speak. Uh, I still have a sponsor. I still write inventory. I still do prayer and meditation. Um, and these are all parts of my sobriety that I, I enjoy doing um, and I want to do. But I also know that if I didn't do this stuff, the sooner or later I'd be shooting dope. Right, and um, it's funny, the longer you stay sober, you can get pretty cynical sometimes, and you have the, the, the disease will take over and have these ideas of like how you got here and what you did, and I mentioned in the beginning about the facts, and, and if I look back at the facts, and especially in, in hard times, when hard times do come up, I look back at the things that got me here, right? And if I can do that, everything always comes back to going to meetings, talking to my sponsor, writing inventory, meeting with newcomers, speaking at treatment centers, right? Uh, we, I've been taking a meeting to uh, <clears throat> Texas Star for five years, probably five or six years, four, something like that, years. Uh, there was a point where I would take a meeting every single week for three years straight. I took a meeting every week and it just became a part of what I did, right? <clears throat> and then we moved and now I take a meeting every other week. Um, but it's funny, we, we were there Monday and it's probably the cornerstone of my sobriety because I get to take a meeting to a detox center where half of the people in there are half awake. And the other half were half awake the week before, but now they're awake and they're responding and they're talking and they're, they're excited, some of them are. Some of them stay sober. Some of them I see them back in there a year later, right? But it's that interaction with newcomers and it's that me remembering that time that I walked into that fucking treatment center and there were three people sitting in the front and they shared a message that dramatically changed my life, right? And I don't wanna ever not be the person that doesn't suit up and show up for a place like that. Right? It's funny how impactful, it's, it, the, the other crazy thing is, is one of those people on the, that were sitting in the front is one of my best friends today. He has nine years and I have seven years and he had two years sitting on that panel. And now we're really, really close friends. I mean, um, it's, it's, the relationships that I've made in recovery, it's just, there's nothing that, that and, and like everybody in here knows, I'm sure, if, especially if you're close with this house, it's like, um, my drinking and drugging can never really measure up to that stuff, you know? <clears throat> um, let's see. I, I think for the most part, that's, I think that's it. Yeah. Woo. Thanks, brother. Yeah. Woo.